Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Sarah, and this is Micah, and we're the lead pastors at the Vine Church in Pasco, and we're honored to have you join us today. Absolutely. So I was reflecting this week on uh, some of the rules I grew up with. You really like rules, right? You're such a rule follower. <laughs> I'm really good at following rules. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. Nope, I'm not that good at it. And I wasn't that good at it when I was young either. Uh, curfew naturally was one of our, our rules. And so once we could drive or old enough to go out with friends, we had a certain time we had to be back. And I was actually pretty good at um, getting back in time for curfew. Okay. The thing is, I just had this habit of sneaking out the window <laughs> once I was back home. I remember at one point I got caught three nights in a row sneaking out my window. You would think at some point it would just occur to me, they're going to check my room. I should stay in it. But no, I was in trouble at that point. I wasn't great at following rules. But what are the purpose of rules in our lives? Why, why do parents create rules? We have rules for our children. Why would we do that? It, of course, isn't just for the sake of rules. And it isn't uh, just to restrict the lives of our children. Of course, we know we make rules because it leads towards well-being and health and wholeness in the lives of our children. It creates balance and rhythms that are safe for them. And uh, and so I've worked on following rules better uh, in my life. <laughs> and we're going to talk. still working on it, guys. It's a work in progress. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what that looks like. John's going to speak to it in the context <laughs> of our Christian walks, our love for God, and the way it plays out in following his commands and walking in his ways. So I invite you to either read along with me or just listen. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5 today. I'm going to start in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is a victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. There's a whole lot in here in these verses, but we see at the beginning of, of this chapter that there's a continuation of the love theme. So you spoke on love last week, love, this love born of God, this love that we love others with because God first loved mm -hmm. us. And so John is going to continue that theme here. And we see throughout the letter of John that belief in Jesus as the Christ, as, as God in human flesh, as the Savior of the world, as the Messiah, this belief in Jesus always leads to loving God and loving others. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see in here also obeying God's commands, those, those rules that you were mentioning. So the, so John in verse two will continue and, and will say, give this idea that this is how we know we love God's children. We know this when we love God and we keep his commands. And a few weeks ago, we spoke on an earlier chapter in which John said the same thing, but reversed. He said, this is how we know if, if someone loves God, well, do they love 
their brother and sister? Do they love people? And here, John is linking those two things again. Love for God and love for people are so intertwined that they are inseparable. In fact, the genuineness of our love for God is reflected on how we treat others. And the genuineness of our love for others is reflected on how we love God. And, he, and it, then he goes on in here. Uh, he says, um, to love God uh, means to keep his commands. This is how you know love, you love God if you keep his commands. And then he says, and these commands are not burdensome. And I think that's a really interesting illustration and idea. Uh, commands, uh, rules that we must follow often seem burdensome. And yet Jesus spoke very differently in his ministry about what commands and living in the way of God looks like in our lives. Whereas the Pharisees in his uh, day and in 2000 years ago had created thousands upon thousands of laws to ensure no one got close enough to breaking one of those other laws that they accidentally did. Jesus spoke in different terms. He says, love God and love your neighbor. And this sums up and fulfills all of the commands of the Old Testament. So we see here that it's not burdensome and that he's not piling on command after command. However, I will say that to apply well the ideas of loving God and loving our neighbor, especially as in Jesus defines a neighbor as anyone you come across, including in the story that he tells a foreigner, someone that he had strife with or conflict with, he says, love your neighbor, and your neighbor is anyone that you come in contact with. So conceptually, this is not heavy or hard. It's not burdensome in that, in that there's not a ton of them. However, it is a high bar to learn to love God and to love people well. Yes, you know, Jesus also spoke um, in Matthew 11. We, we see his words, Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In this section here, as Jesus, as we look at Jesus' words, he uses this metaphor of a yoke. And that might not mean a whole lot to us now, but in the first century, they would take a yoke made out of wood and place it across two different animals or more to help them work together as they pulled something along. And Jesus here is inviting all those who are weary and heavy burden, all those whose life has just worn down to come to him. And he's saying, hey, when you put my yoke, which also is a metaphor for my teachings, my yoke on you and walk with me and work with me, you'll find that this yoke is easy and this burden is light. And Jesus' invitation isn't to a life of following rules for the sake of following rules. Instead, there are things like love placed in our lives and expected of us uh, towards others, um, and all of them for the purpose of living a good life. His desire is that we would flourish, live a life of abundance. In fact, in John 10, 10, uh, John, same author of the letter that we're reading here, he says, um, quoting Jesus, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Right. Jesus says, I come so that you can have life into the full. And this fullest life is going to revolve around commandments like love God and love the people around you. 
You know, going back to what you were saying beforehand, when we follow Jesus, it's not a, a promise that everything in life will be easy mm. and that we won't have any suffering or, or any things to work through. Rather, it's a promise that as we walk with Jesus, Jesus will do the heavy lifting. And I love this idea that we are not alone as we walk through this life, but rather that Jesus is right there with us. And Jesus, um, as we obey God, this leads to life and more life. And so we will experience hard times. We will experience struggle, but we are walking with the source of life. We're walking with the life mm. giver. And so we can, even in the midst of those hard things, we can experience things like rest and joy and rich, abundant life. Yeah. Final piece of the section that I want to touch base on, it uses this language of uh, victory, like almost a military campaign is often how it would be, uh, this language would normally be used. He speaks of overcoming the world, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's kind of interesting language. Uh, our fight um, is not against flesh and blood. It's not about against people or any of these things. It, it is um, uh, scripture that, that it's against powers, principalities, and evil in this world that we fight. And he speaks of overcoming the world. Again, not speaking of people, but instead, I think a number of weeks ago, you were speaking on a text that had to do with the world, and you defined it as um, the values or attitudes that stand in opposition to God. So the values or attitude, attitudes in this world that oppose God. And he says, through faith, through our belief, we can have victory over these values or attitudes that oppose God, that that the selfishness and the things that tear me down and others down around me, that we would have victory over those and come in line, walk in lockstep with Jesus uh, as we learn to live lives of love. Amen to that. Well, let's continue. We'll continue in verse six. This is the one who came... Oh, and there's going to be some hard things in here, okay? A little bit convoluted. So as we yeah, read it, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at them. So just follow along. Verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit the water and the blood and the three are in agreement we accept human testimony but god's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of god which he has given about his son whoever believes in the son of god accepts this testimony whoever does not believe god ha god has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony god has given about his son and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Okay, so at this point, John's letter is drawing to a close. He's mm -hmm. spoken on a number of subjects, love being a primary theme throughout uh, the letter that he's written. 
But remember, he's writing to the first century church, and um, they are dealing with false teachers and people that are trying to split the church up, draw people away, saying Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh. He just looked like it. Uh, a lot of Gnostic belief wrapped up in uh, in the conversations around Christianity here in the first century. And so John is writing this letter to correct them. And one of his primary points is to say, this is who Jesus was. I walked with him. I knew him. And this is who Jesus is. And so he's speaking now again to that audience saying, don't listen to those false teachers. This is who we know. We know Jesus who came by water and blood. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> right, that's an interesting statement. Absolutely. I think it is the bookends of Jesus' ministry, speaking of baptism in the beginning and uh, blood shed on the cross. Now, what's interesting about both baptism and his death on a cross is they're both cleansing metaphors. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Israelite culture, they would be hearing these concepts and recognizing these are the means towards cleansing. So I'll briefly touch on baptism. Sarah will touch mm-hmm. on, on the idea of a sacrifice here in just a moment. But water baptism was this ceremony that was practiced both in Israel prior to Jesus' ministry um, and in other nations. It's common. It's a common illustration and idea. To be cleansed would uh, be represented by a, a water washing, baptism, yeah. a washing. Yeah, it's a washing ceremony sort of a thing. Now, Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, goes out to a man named John the Baptist, who is baptizing for repentance. And I'll be a little bit brief on this point, because here in a couple weeks, we're going to go into a bunch more detail on baptism. In fact, on May 22nd, we're going to have a baptism ceremony after church. And so if that's something that uh, maybe has been on your heart, or as we talk about it today, uh, God lays on your heart, you're welcome to reach out to us and uh, ask a little bit more about why we baptize and and what that's going to look like when we do on the 22nd. Now, um, so to continue, Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, he goes to John the Baptist, and uh, he says, baptize me. And John says, whoa, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, this is this is proper. And he began his ministry uh, with this ceremonial washing. Now, in Romans 6, uh, baptism became a central practice of the church. And in Romans 6, um, there's this parallel drawn between Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. He dies on a cross, he's buried, and then he rises again to new life. And this illustration is drawn out in baptism of us being buried under the water of baptism and then coming up into new life in Jesus. And that, of course, is the subject that he was just speaking about, this new life. And now he says eternal life found in Jesus. And uh, baptism is a beautiful way of kind of living into reliving this idea of we have been raised to new life. So at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, he's baptized by John the Baptist. And I love the Holy Spirit coming down saying, Mm -hmm. and God speaking, this is my son whom I love. And then at the end of Jesus' ministry, we have his crucifixion and, and Jesus as the ultimate atoning sacrifice. And you did touch base on this idea of an atoning sacrifice last week. Culturally, it's a bit unfamiliar to, to us. us. And, and the, the word sacrifice and the idea of blood as, as a part of a cleansing metaphor seems very strange, mm-hmm. um, to us, but to, to the audience here that this letter was written to, to the Israelites, this would have been very familiar. 
to them. They had a long history of making animal sacrifices in order to make atonement, in order to cleanse people of sin and to bring people back into right standing with God. And so Jesus, God in human form, come on earth to make God known to humanity. He begins and ends his ministry with this idea of cleansing. We see mm-hmm. this these metaphors of cleansing, the water and the blood. So here John is saying, we know that Jesus is the Christ in part because of the water and the blood. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, and then he speaks finally here of this testimony and he kind of runs around uh, the, the water is a testimony, the blood is a testimony, kind of like you're saying. Yeah. They they speak to who Christ is, who Jesus is. Uh, then he draws in the Holy Spirit who testifies and God himself who testifies, whose testimony is the most powerful because after all, he is God. I like that line. <laughs> right, he is God, so his is more powerful. Um, and what he's talking about here, this idea of a testimony, it's um, kind of like the idea of a witness in a courtroom. It is a statement made. This is what I have seen. This is what I know. And he's saying, so we know who Jesus is uh, through the testimony of the water, the blood, the spirit, and God himself. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior. Now, in verse 11, he finally says, and this is the testimony. This is the testimony. This is what all of these things are testifying to. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And that's pretty powerful. I see three three really important things in there, in this in this these two sentences of, of what this testimony is. First off, that God has given us eternal life, that this is a free gift, a gift freely given by God, that it is a gift of God, eternal life. And that's really important that it is from God. It's not something that we earned or we deserve, but rather it's a gift. Secondly, I see in here that this eternal life is in Jesus, that it is through Jesus that we receive this eternal life. It's by being in Jesus, abiding, dwelling in Jesus, we receive this life. And thirdly, we have here um, the, the fact that this eternal life starts now. I like how in verse 11, we have past tense. So God has given us eternal life. But then in verse 12, it switches to present tense. Whoever has the son has life. That this eternal life isn't just something from the future that we can look forward to, but rather that we are invited to right now experience life from here on out moving forward. And this is so important because it changes how we live in the present. This idea that we have a full, abundant life in Jesus, it's going to affect how we live today. Yeah, John 17, 2 and 3 describes this. For you, God, have granted the Son authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Right? It, it speaks of God giving authority to Jesus and then giving 
people, humanity to Jesus, that in Jesus, they might have eternal life. Jesus himself makes that claim in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I love the simplicity, the beauty, and yet the, the the complexity of this idea that Jesus is our way. We can follow him. He is the truth. There's truth and hope found in him. And finally, he is the life. In Jesus is found this eternal life, like Sarah said, that doesn't begin when we move on yeah. from this life. But here and now, we are invited to live new life. You know, as we as we look at this passage and as we talk about the new life found in Jesus, it's so encouraging to me that we are invited to walk with Jesus, that we are invited to experience life. You know, I don't know where you're at right now in, in your in your walk, where you're at in your life situation. But sometimes life is really hard. And even if things are going well, if we look out into our world and in our community, there are really some tough things going on that are hard to navigate and hard to sort through. And I'm so glad we don't have to do that alone. And we don't have to do that in our own strength. Rather, we have been invited to follow Jesus, who is the source of life, Jesus, the life giver. And he is the life giver who loves all of humanity so deeply. He is gracious and merciful, a God who desires to heal and to restore, who gives wisdom and joy and strength and rest. I like that one. He gives us rest when we are weary. And so today, friends, our invitation is as to follow Jesus and as Jesus followers to both receive God's love, his infinite, all-encompassing, faithful love, and also to live out this love that 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 might be the kind of love we have for others as we engage our families, our friends and, and acquaintances in our communities that we friends are invited to live in this rich, abundant life that is found in Jesus. Absolutely. We have been invited to new life. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, here in two weeks on May 22nd, we're going to have a baptism ceremony, and we're really excited about that. If you're at a place in your faith journey where you would like to explore deeper, maybe take a next step and mark that in mm -hmm. baptism, mm -hmm. uh, you're invited to reach out to us or to join us on uh, in at our live gathering at 10 a.m. on Sunday, May 22nd, where afterwards we'll be heading out uh, for baptisms. Um, so reach out if you would like to. The invitation today, of course, is to new life found in Jesus. And one of the ways we live into that and, and mark that, mark a new moment in life is through baptism. And we want you to know you're invited to that as well. Let's pray as we conclude here. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you for the ways you draw us close to you and close to each other in community. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to love you and to love others as Jesus has loved us, that that would be um, the, the guiding force, the, the motivator behind everything that we do and say. And Lord, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to walk alongside you, the life giver and experience new life. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Hey, friends, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you have a, a week full of abundant life. Can't wait to see you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.